The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now in fast stocks, kicking off the new month and the new quarter on a big up note with the S&P rising more than 1%. But one of our traders says there is another chart that could be telling the true tale of the tape. We'll find out what it is and what it says about the market's direction. Plus, it's been a rough week for pot stocks. The MJ Cannabis ETF dropping nearly 10%. So has this trade gone up in smoke for good? And a Kohl's kiss-off shares seeing their biggest drop in over two years after scrapping a deal with the franchise group. The chairwoman makes a special appearance to tell us what has got her even angrier. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site on the desk tonight. Courtney Garcia, Tim Seymour, who will join us shortly. Steve Grasso and Pete Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion. Com. We start off with the most important chart in the market, according to one of our traders. T-bills versus the semi-spill. Over the last five days, bond prices have rallied, with the yields in the 10-year dropping below 2.8% today for the first time in over a month. Meanwhile, the SMH Semiconductor ETF has plunged down 9% just this week, far outpacing the losses that we saw in the broader markets. So, um, Rasa, we point to the SMH is very important all the time, and the uh, declines in yields, I mean, they were just breathtaking this week. Uh, yes, they were. And, and if, I, if I look at yields on a, uh, on a basis going back for, uh, to November 2018 to the highs of June, uh, basically 2022, the 50% retracement for yields is 2%. The reason why I bring that up is that those two dates, the 2018 date, and the June 2022 dates, that looks like to me a double top for yields. So I do think we're going to get a respite as we've seen wheat prices come in, gasoline prices come in, commodity prices come in on a monthly basis, not as a whole. So I don't think we're out of the woods yet, there yet, but I think we're gonna give enough to Jay Powell to maybe take his foot off the gas and you're gonna see yields come in from here. Uh, Tim, you're the actually, actually the one who brought us this important chart of the week. So what does this signify to you? Well, I, I feel like it's a broken record in terms of the importance of the semiconductors because of their cyclicality, because of their epicenter dynamic in terms of supply chain and also inventory dynamics, over ordering, under ordering, et cetera. But, but look at the underperformance of the SMH or the SOX index semiconductor ETF. Four and a half percent, almost five percent to the S&P today. So stocks were up. Uh, you had a sense that there was actually uh, a decent start to the quarter today, but it really wasn't. Uh, and if I look at semiconductors, the underperformance to the S&P uh, in the last, call it 20 days, uh, is about 13 percent, again, to an S&P that's been down aggressively. This is how much the semiconductors have underperformed. And it's in stark contrast uh, to the rally in bonds. And obviously they're the same story. 
it really is uh, facing the recessionary risks head on. Uh, what we've seen in the last three days as reference with the 10 year going from 350, we're at 280 on the lows today. Obviously, bonds didn't uh, uh, finish at those low on yields and they actually rallied back a bit uh, in terms of yields move higher, bonds sold off. But, but it was really an ugly, ugly day. And, and we pointed out this week, and I think we're going to continue to point out, it may be okay to see uh, those interest rate sensitive stocks rally, especially mega cap tech stocks on a day like today, and they will carry the market. Um, but what I saw today was pretty ugly. And, and I think the move in the semiconductors is downright scary because that talks about the real you know, epicenter of the economy. I mean, within uh, the S&P 500, the moves were defensive within this rally. We saw the biggest gains in utilities, for instance. We saw a rally in the bond market still, Courtney. So what do you what do you make of all this, especially in light of semiconductor signaling? The latest data point is from Micron. They just talked to investors in early June, and they said that things are worse today than they were at the start of the quarter. Then they talked to us yesterday, effectively, um, with their guidance and said things are even worse than that. Yeah, and I think you're seeing this across multiple platforms, right? You're seeing consumer spending is coming down. You're seeing the manufacturing index is coming down. And Tim brings up a really good point here that if we follow his logic that some of these semiconductors are leading to the idea that the economy is slowing down here, one of those ideas that really good news for the economy has been bad news for the stock markets, but maybe now the opposite, where some bad news that the economy is actually starting to slow down is what people want to see here and that the Fed is going to start to hopefully um, ease on their rate hikes, which could inevitably be a good thing for the market. So I think this actually could be one of those good news, bad news scenarios, which is inevitably maybe good for the markets. Pete, do we get a respite? Do we get a respite in terms of, um, you know, selling particularly in tech names because of this pullback in yields? Well, I tell you what, the very first thing I look at each and every day, Mel, is the yields. And I look at the 10-year and the 2-year, and if I see them, especially right now, obviously, as we've dropped underneath 3, and I want to see what kind of an acceleration we have on that drop, and that obviously transfers over to the markets pretty quickly. As a matter of fact, in the last three hours of the day, that's when we had all of the big gains that we were looking at today, as a matter of fact. You look over at the Dow up 300 points in the last three hours. You look over at 160 points on the NASDAQ. So that really did flip things around very, very rapidly. Uh, uh, real quick on the semiconductors, this has been going on for a month. This is not just the one-week thing. The one week has been awful, but they've really been struggling for a while now. And then obviously with the Micron news today and some of that, what was forecast, there's a lot of nervousness out there. I think Tim's 100% right on this one, and I'm, I, I continue to look at that. We have seen put buying across the board, not just in the individual names, but on top of the individual names, in the SMH as well. And they're not just going short-term, Mel. A lot of them are, but most of them have actually been moving out in time, all the way out as far as September and October. So it's pretty interesting to see what we are seeing in the options market and how that's playing out right now in the markets themselves. But, you know, I, do, I still do need to point out seven or eight of the of the biggest sectors um, actually finished up one percent or more today so it was a pretty broad-based move to the upside i realized tech really did struggle but everything else just seemed to be off to the races yeah steve you wanted in yeah so so uh, to pete's point so i've been negative on semiconductors uh, for a while now but the problem is only micron is below the february 2020 level so if, if i'll give you a point of reference if NVIDIA has to get down to that 2020 level, it's going to have to be cut in half. That is a big move, all right? We're talking about 50% move down. Now, the SMH, the two top names, uh, TSM, Taiwan Semiconductor, and NVIDIA account for about 20% of that, uh, of that index. 
So TSM is not as bad, though, but it still would have to be chopped up maybe 30% to get down to that February 2020 level. This is a, a matter of wanting to see the pull forward of these semiconductor names. So there's a lot of room to the downside, and we're going to have to dip down. We're, we didn't even talk about the ISM levels here. or we're, we're looking at June 2020 levels for ISM and May 2020 levels for ISM new orders. The S&P was at, uh, during those levels, if we push the S&P back, you're looking at between 2,800 and 3,100 in the S&P. So overall, we've got to chop a lot of wood before we're calling bottoms I in the overall a, I have market. a question about the baseline, though. Why, is the, why does the baseline have to be right. pre-pandemic? Like, why does it have to be February 2020? Why, why that baseline, Tim? Because we're... Or, okay, Tim, Grasso, why well, that uh, baseline? Yeah, I, I'll give you a, 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 just a small snippet. We, we were in an environment at that point where we were not in a rising rate environment. So you have to flip the script. We, got a, we had a huge tailwind to the overall market, a, a huge pull forward for semiconductors, hardware, everything across the board. But you have to go back because we're in a rising rate environment and everything is calculated on discounted cash flow. That's why technology stocks uh, will, will run when rates are low and not when they're in a rising rate environment. Well, then that's depressing because that'd be a lot of wood to chop <laughs> low on the S&P 500, Tim. Yeah, I mean, Paul, Paul Bunyan here. And, and I, I think you know, part of that Feb 2020 dynamic is, is, is okay, that was, uh, we talk about companies on a two or a three year stack. So we get back to February of 2019 and you're looking at companies within the context of, of normalized earnings to that point. Um, what's relevant is I, I would make an argument, we could argue, that we are in a period of secular stagnation. We were still coming off that period where the Fed seemingly overstepped its bounds, tried to raise rates in the fourth quarter of 2018, December of 2018. We all know where we were on Christmas Eve with the stock market you know, down 20 percent that month. Um, but but the, the, the rally from, you know, I don't know, September, October, November of 2019 into that Feb 2020 level was also pretty extraordinary. I, I would make an argument, and this is where you get into Paul Bunyan territory, is that Feb 2020 is not even the right level to look at. That's an environment where there's zero inflation. Um, and where, where rates are at zero. Should equities be mm -hmm. valued in the same context no. as that moment in time? And I, I'm not sure. Yeah. So, so then, so then so. should that baseline actually be lower? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, so it's more even more depressing. More shopping. Okay, let's Paul get, to, uh, let's get to a sunnier topic, and that would be an underperformer in today's market. Why not? We're just de de depressing, depressing show today. Um, Meta, the social media giant, dropping as much as 4% today after CEO Mark Zuckerberg warned in an employee Q&A the company will cut back on hiring plans to prepare for, quote, one of the worst downturns we have seen in recent history. The company's chief product officer adding in an internal memo circulated yesterday that headwinds are fierce. Teams should not expect vast influxes of new engineers and budgets. Uh, Courtney, that doesn't sound good, but maybe it's the most conservative, safest thing to do if you believe the economy is in fact slowing. 
Yeah, and we're seeing this really, um, any sort of job cuts have always been in tech, so I don't think this is extremely surprising right now to see Facebook come out with this, and they already had a hiring freeze previously, so I don't think this should be that much of a surprise here, um, but I think it's kind of interesting about Facebook is really tech in general has just been so overrun, and it's been really selling off here as interest rates are rising. We're finally starting to see some of these valuations come to a point where it might actually be worth some sort of opportunity here. It's now traded only 13 times earnings, which is significantly lower than its averages, so um, yes, this is not good news coming out of Facebook, but maybe as a longer-term buyer, you have some opportunities here. Yeah, online ad revenues are typically correlated pretty tightly with GDP, Pete. So uh, I don't know if you're the depressing Paul Bunyan recession kind of camp, <laughs> you might not like a meta. Unless you think it's priced right, in, yeah, all, uh, all of the decline in GDP and decline in ad revenues. Well, I wouldn't say all, but I would say much of it's probably priced in. And I think Zuckerberg's just kind of going out there trying to get things shifted around and moving around a little bit. I mean, when he says some of the employees just might have to just leave, it is pretty abrasive, right? I mean, some of the words that he used when he was describing how he feels about what's going on in the company is pretty interesting. And obviously with, Carol, with Sandberg leaving as well, there's a lot of different things going on right now. And the, the, they still want to spend money. But it's a matter of how can they do that under the circumstances that they have right now. And is Metaverse really the right way to go? It is because he says it is, and they're going to continue to build on that. But hiring, I do not see a whole lot of hiring. As a matter of fact, I think what he's trying to get going is a little bit of getting people to maybe make some moves to other places and move out of where they are right now and give them a little bit more freedom to be able to spread around their money. Um, job cuts, particularly white-collar job cuts in the likes of a meta, Netflix, in Tesla, Tim. Um, this doesn't add up well, but maybe, I mean, do you think it's negative or do you think it's just, it's actually good because the companies are girding for tough times ahead? I like girding. Nothing like a crisis to make a company more efficient. Uh, I do think that there's, there was a sense, particularly in the tech world, that there's growth forever. Money is free. Uh, we're, we're, we're being paid to actually invest as much as we can. And I think uh, there's been a reassessment. There's no question. Um, there's a reassessment across capital markets. There are companies uh, in private markets. Uh, they're actually worse than public markets. That They can't fund themselves the way they could. And obviously, the tech world, especially in the private markets, private equity, uh, has really been the backbone of a, a lot of tech funding over the last 10 years. So uh, look, I think it's good. It's also making the Fed's job easier. It's also part of why, uh, the, you know, I, I, I won't get back to Paul Bunyan. I'll, I'll just say when I look at yields this week and I look at semiconductors and we've had this conversation, is the Fed going to break something? Uh, this felt like the Fed breaking something again on a day when the market was kind of quiet and a little bit higher and, uh, you know, et cetera. But uh, pretty ugly stuff in terms of what the bond market's done in the last three days. The sense yeah. is that that the economy and companies are going to have to cut jobs. Uh, and that's part of this story. All right. Up next, Kohl's kissing goodbye to the idea of being taken private. What Karen Feinerman says the company has to do now. And she's fired up. And a trade getting smoked. We dive into our chart of the week and dig into whether new highs are coming. Fast Money, be right back. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. 
I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Kohl's shares down nearly 20% today after the retailer called off its sales to franchise group, saying the macro environment has gotten worse since bidding began earlier this year. The company also cutting its sales forecast for the current quarter. Our own Karen Feinerman joins us on the Fast Line to break it all down. Karen, I know you're, you're mad. There are a lot of things to be mad about. Yeah. Um, and the AK filing, you yeah. say, shows that the company has really been lying this whole time to investors. Oh, the 8K filing. I don't even know where to begin on the 8K filing. It is so self-serving about, you know, when they got these bids and then they really were engaged in the process, which I find just nearly impossible to believe. You know, they have these self-serving statements like, well, bidders dropped out. They said things like, we can't generate any more value than management's already doing, which is absurd. One bidder, they actually said, the bidder said, no, I'm not interested in retail. Why they put that in, I don't know. But that was just sort of odd. But the thing that really gets me is just the destruction of value over time, right? Beginning in January when they received a proposal and then they just slow-footed the process. Then they presented their own brilliant management plan that shareholders hated. Then they sort of lied to the shareholders that the chief merchandise, they let, they let the chief merchant, they let shareholders believe that the team was still together, the chief merchandising and chief marketing officers, when in fact they were leaving and they really should have told shareholders that before shareholders voted on whether they wanted management's plan or whether they wanted a slate to sell the company. And I do think, to be fair to them, things did deteriorate. We know that because they lowered their own revenue, they lowered their own guidance, but then they had a very upbeat call about how great things were going, which you knew was just complete BS at the time. And then today they kind of sneak in another revenue missed and lower underneath all of this self-serving crap from how great and diligent the process was of them looking for a buyer. They have wasted and destroyed so much shareholder value in mm-hmm. five months, not quite five months, since they received this proposal. You know, and it's like, hey, it's not our fault. Retail's really bad. It wasn't really bad when they started and got the bids way higher than what they were able to deliver. They really underperformed every other retailer. And, you know, now they're, you know, they shot shot the shareholders and now they're claiming, you know, don't hurt me. I'm I'm an orphan. I have no shareholders who are happy with me now. Well, whose fault is that? So real quick, Karen, because we're just about out of time. Um, you've been long the sock, but it sounds like you're very convinced that management has been at the very least incompetent, if not um, not truthful with shareholders, lying to shareholders. So what do, you do with the, what do you do with your holdings? Well, so I, I had stock, some stock going in today. I had sold some earlier, but I definitely was long going in today. I had a lot of options. Those will go to zero. I don't need to worry about what to do with those. Um, I think, you know, is it cheap here? Yeah, but it should be really cheap. So 
It's a very, it's a small position now. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if a sure if an activist comes back, but it's Wisconsin. That's not going to be easy to do before next year. So, um, I don't know. I'll just see and be furious and not on very much stock. Maybe zero, maybe a little. I don't know. It's All just right. that they're, they're terrible. We'll try and enjoy the long weekend, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I will. Karen Feinerman, um, Tim Seymour. It sounds like this is the kind of thing you just say, you know what? Done. Wipe my hands clean. Um, yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I would also point out that department stores have had a terrible run here overall. I mean, Macy's, which to me, I, I, I kind of like the fundamentals there, but uh, down almost 30 percent in a month and trading at you know, four and a half times next year's numbers. Um, so this hasn't been exclusive to Kohl's. Obviously, uh, the bottom up story, the, the M&A, the, you know, certainly the, the bid story to Kohl's and Karen's uh, detailing where management has sidestepped and gone wrong. Um, is something that I think is unique here. I, I just I think retail also just the broader story is department stores have had a very tough time. This was a company that was under a lot of pressure before. Uh, and, and I think we even heard this from Jerry Storch earlier in the week that right. this is a really tough place for department stores and malls. Grasso, quick. Uh, Raw Stars, TJ Maxx are, the, are your two discounters that they benefit when you have oversupply. We've seen oversupply in the rest of the names. One last thing on cold stores, the 28 level is that 50% retracement from that Feb 2020. So if you don't think that's enough, damage to that April 2020 level. Pete smiled, by the way, when you said TJX. Um, up next, we are lighting up our chart of the week, a look at a trade that's gotten snuffed out, plus an options action. The traders break down the old and new energy plays you might want to add to your portfolio. And stay tuned after the show. For a CNBC special report, Crypto Night in America, a look inside the fireworks surrounding the rise and fall of some of the most hyped coins that's coming your way. Top of the hour. Stay tuned. the cannabis trade getting smoked. Take a look at our chart of the week. The Alternative Harvest ETF, it is down more than 9% over the past five sessions. Even with today's comeback, names like Grow Generation, Cresco Labs, Aurora Cannabis, and Kronos among the winners to close out the week. So, uh, Tim, we know you've been long the space. So what does it need at this point yep. for a catalyst? Well, this, this week was particularly tough, and the ETF you're showing is one that actually has most of its investments in Canada. And, mm-hmm. and this was a week when Canopy Growth, one of the larger players in the space, but one of the larger in Canada, uh, announced they were issuing equity uh, to take out a secured, uh, an unsecured convertible note and, you know, very dilutive uh, exercise and something that, that really, for one of, at one point, the darlings in the space and a company that's backed by Constellation Brands, um, it's, it's a company that's really been uh, eroding capital very quickly. And I think that that's been the story. That was the story this week. Uh, and I think the story across Canada is similar. There's a lot of consolidation that needs to happen. And, and frankly, the top three or four players there are losing market share. So you want to be, uh, I think, mostly invested in the U.S. markets. And I think if you look at the U.S. MSOs and whether you're talking about Cureleaf or GTI or Terrasend or Cresco Labs or Trulieve, I mean, these are companies that are trading at their May 2020 COVID lows in terms of uh, they're actually trading cheaper than that on a on an EV EBITDA. I'm not saying it's it's pound the table time. I'm saying uh, the cannabis sector in terms of what's been repriced. And you can make an argument this is a consumer staple sector um, and, and has suffered with some of the other issues with the consumer, et cetera, and inflation. But uh, valuations in the U.S. are very interesting here. 
Pete, just quickly, um, is it time for this space or given the market conditions, it's just not in your view? I think it's not even about the market conditions. The problem I have is it's very much like Uber and Lyft is where I would sort of draw a little bit of similarity where make some money. You got to be profitable. I mean, there are there are so many companies out there and they're all working hard. And I realize they've got a lot in front of them, but they've got to make money just like Uber, just like Lyft. All right. Final trade time. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour, what do you say? Barbecue time with some Budweiser in that Bud, B-U-D. Steve Grasso. The, tan, uh, the TAM, the solar ETF, looks terrible on a technical level. Take profit, sell. Pete Najarian. I'm going to give you a dish. I think it's bottomed out, and I think it's ready to start rocketing to the upside. Courtney Garcia. Uh, sticking with the theme here, um, one thing I don't want in my barbecue is beyond meat, and I'm actually going to short that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people think that way. Um, that does it for us here on Fast Money. Don't go anywhere. Options action is up next. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.